Friends, do, do, uh, do me a favor. Um, if you're at home, you can put a comment on Facebook with this. But uh, raise your hand if you have ever played a role in a Christmas play or a pageant or a nativity scene. Anyone been in one of those? Okay, a few people. Good. Um, I've had the privilege of being in a few. I've been an angel. I've been a wise man. Uh, when I was really given an opportunity to stretch my athletic, or excuse me, my, my acting muscles, I got to play goat. Um, uh, here's something I've noticed about Christmas plays. There are roles that are far more coveted than others when there's a Christmas play. Girls typically want to be Mary and hold baby Jesus. Uh, boys typically want to be wise men and wear the cool costumes and hold the gold and the myrrh. Um, boys and girls want to be shepherds because shepherds might get to play with live animals during the nativity. Um, Angels get to wear wings. Even if you get to play an animal, you get to crawl around on your hand and feet and make animal noises, so that's fun. Um, Those roles are all quickly filled, but no one, at least in my experience, wants to be Joseph. He is the last pick of all the roles of the nativity scene. Maybe it is because he's not understood, or maybe it is because he has no lines. Maybe he has one line. There's no room in, or do you have any room in the inn? But if you think about it, even the animals pretty much get more lines than Joseph in most Christmas plays. They get to make more noises than Joseph gets to say words. Um, I think about it this way. If you were going to direct a Christmas play, do you know who you would put, what child you would put in the role of Joseph? You would put the child that you do not want to speak, that you know should not and cannot speak. You say, be Joseph, stand next to Mary, look at the baby, and don't say anything. That's the child you put playing Joseph. And I think that is often how we see Joseph portrayed in most nativity scenes, in plays. And even as we read our Bible, Joseph can kind of fade into the background of our mind. Church, this morning I want us to pull Joseph out of the background and I want to put him in the foreground of our mind. When we look at Joseph in the Christmas story, we get a snapshot of what God is doing on Christmas. We get a beautiful picture of God's love for us, not just any love, a love that has the power to bring calm into our lives, even in the hardest of circumstances. Let's begin with verse 18. Let's dive into our passage this morning. Again, I would love it if you followed along in your Bible. Verse 18, Matthew writes, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. So this is the account of our Savior's birth, friends. He goes on, When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Okay, let's pause and stop there because there's already some things that we need to talk about. There's some things that we need to understand. If you're a note taker, this is the first part. The heading is the situation. This is the situation. Matthew tells us that Mary is betrothed to Joseph. This means that she and Joseph are legally married. Marriage worked a little bit different then. Uh, They are legally married, meaning they are husband and wife in every way except one. Physically, they have not yet come together. They are not living together, and this was the custom of the day. Uh, They would commit to one another, and the woman would remain with her parents for some time, and then eventually she would move in with her husband, and they would come together and be one. Before this happens, though, in this story, before they came together, it says, Matthew tells us, it is discovered that Mary is pregnant. Joseph finds out. This is not good. This is not a good situation because during that in-between time before their marriage was consummated, Joseph and Mary were to not come together physically. 
They were to remain pure sexually. So here's the situation. Mary is pregnant. Joseph is found out, and he knows it's not his child. It appears, by all human eyes, that Mary has committed adultery. She has been with another man. And the punishment for adultery, according to God's law, is death. Mary, because it appears that she has been unfaithful to her husband, is in serious danger. At the very least, she is in danger of losing her honor and living in shame for the rest of her life. She will be looked down upon and scorned. Now, we know that this child is from God. We have talked about this. Brent gave a fabulous sermon two weeks ago on Mary and how the angel came to Mary and told her this child will be conceived in you. We know that this is from God. Joseph does not. Joseph does not know. The angel did not appear to him when it appeared to Mary. So I want you this morning to take a moment and put yourself in the shoes of Joseph. Put yourself in his shoes. He loves Mary. He has committed his life to her. He, is, he has this vision for their life together. He's preparing for their, their life together. And then he discovers that she is pregnant when they have yet to come together. And on top of this, Mary is telling him that the child that is conceived in her womb is from the Holy Spirit, from God. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a moment. Can you imagine the emotional pain and also just the confusion that Joseph must have had in this moment? At first, he thinks Mary has betrayed his love for her. Um, then he is wrestling with this news. I don't think he, I don't think he thought she was lying. But, um, he, he, but he, I, mean, I mean, how do you make sense of this news that God has conceived in your, your wife, a child? How do you make sense of that? I think Joseph is distraught because his vision for his family, what he was looking forward to, what he is hoping for, it has all been flipped upside down. Have you ever been in a moment like that? You had a plan for your life. You had a vision for something. You, you thought this was the way things were going to go, and then something happened in your life, and it all just got turned upside down. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you had a hard breakup or an illness or an unexpected move. If you've been in those places, you know that they, feel, they make you so disoriented. Many of us have been in those situations. So though we cannot fully, fully relate to Joseph's, because I don't think any of us have had a wife come to us and say, the Lord has conceived in my womb a child. Hopefully that has not happened to you. Um, though none of us can fully appreciate his situation, we can relate to it. So that's the situation. Now Joseph has to make a decision. So this is the second heading, if you're taking notes. The decision. He must either embrace Mary as his wife and her child as his own, or he must walk away. And verse 19 tells us that he walks away. Let's go to verse 19. He chooses the latter option. We read, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, again, we need to take a moment and understand what Joseph is doing because this sounds incredibly harsh in our mind. When we read that he resolved to divorce her, um, our minds conjure up a lot of negative connotations. We immediately go to the worst situation. Maybe you've experienced divorce in your life, so it appears to you that Joseph is leaving Mary, he's abandoning her, 
uh, by divorcing her, or maybe a, a man or someone significant in your life did not fulfill their responsibility uh, to you or someone you love. So it appears to you that Joseph is running from his responsibility. He is leaving by divorcing her. Church, we need to understand that none of, neither of those things are happening. We need to understand that Joseph's actions are actually incredibly godly and compassionate in this situation in this day and time. Notice that Matthew, in verse 19, he calls Joseph a just man. This doesn't mean that he's just, like, kind of wise and has good morals and things like that. It means that he is faithful to God and God's law. He is a man who runs after God. He is a man who wants to follow God. And so Joseph knows the law, and if he knows the law, he knows that according to the law, Mary should be shamed and possibly stoned if she has committed adultery. Yet he also knows that God desires mercy. So Joseph, in an attempt to reconcile this, he exercises a right he has under God's law. It's in Deuteronomy 24. Basically, he can declare that he is no longer interested in Mary because there's something he has found that he does not like. In this case, she is pregnant. And again, this sounds so harsh to us. It sounds so harsh. It sounds like, gosh, if a guy did that today, we would like, we would all rebuke him. Um, but again, remember, different time. And here's what this action will allow them to do. One, they can separate with no raised eyebrows. Joseph can maintain his honor, his status as a godly man. Everyone will know that he did not come together with Mary before he was supposed to. He can marry someone else, and Mary, she too can maintain her honor. She can marry again. She can have her child. Um, She can claim that she was assaulted, which um, in that day and time with the Roman Empire occupying like it was would not be a a far-out thing to say. Um, But this will spare her. It will spare her baby from public shame. It will protect her, and she can marry and still have a good life, and she will be still looked at as a godly woman. So church, we could be really hard on Joseph, and we could, we could ask, why did he not stay? Why, like, why did he not stay? Or we can see that Joseph is actually an incredibly godly man who is desiring to follow God's law and still show mercy which God loves. He could have accused Mary. He could have stood in the village square and accused her, and she might have been stoned. Even though he was hurt and confused, though, he takes action to make sure Mary is protected and saved. Joseph is not abandoning Mary or running from his responsibility. He is actually taking responsibility by setting Mary and her child up for success in the future. He is doing his best to make some good come out of this crazy situation, this impossible situation that he and Mary have found themselves in. He is, as it says in verse 20, he is considering these things. I imagine that Joseph, I almost imagine kind of he's a type three on the Enneagram. I don't know if any of you are familiar with Enneagram. It's a personality test. There's nine numbers. If you're number three, it means you're an achiever. You like success-driven goals. You, you, you make goals and you achieve them. I almost imagine that Joseph is like a three. He, he's worked this out in his mind. He says, okay, if I do these things, this is, the way for, this is the way for the least amount of pain. Mary will be okay. I will be okay. We can separate. It'll be all right. And uh, we'll be free of this thing. And so he, he goes to bed, he's got his plan, he's going to do it in the morning. But as he's considering these things, verse 20 says, Behold, an angel of the Lord 
appeared to him in a dream. This is the intervention, third heading. Third heading. We read what this angel says to Joseph in verses 20 and 21. An angel appeared, um, uh, the angel appears in his dream and says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. We've mentioned the past couple of weeks that every time in the Christmas story when an angel appears to a person in the Christmas story, we've covered Mary and Zechariah so far, the angel has to like calm the person. You know, apparently encountering an angel is a very scary thing. You know, it's not this, you know, sweet singing little child. It's this like glorious um, being that is terrifying. And so the angel has to say, do not be afraid. The interesting thing about in Joseph's case is that uniquely, the angel does not say, do not fear me, the angel, like in the other cases. He does tell Joseph to not fear, but he tells Joseph to not fear his marriage to Mary. This is so key because it reveals to us that Joseph is scared. Joseph is afraid. And we might ask, well, what is he afraid of? I think he's, I mean, he loves Mary. He's afraid of the consequences for her, possible death, shame. He's afraid of the consequences for himself, again, shame. Um, He's afraid of the fact that if he embraces her, together they will be looked on as people who kind of have this scandalous relationship. They came together before, you know, other people won't know what the angels have said or the angels have told them. Um, They'll be looked on as people who broke God's law. They'll be the talk around the town water well. People will make eyes at them. But more than that, I think Joseph is scared of the unknown. He's scared because this was not his plan. Parenting a child that is not his was not his plan. Parenting a child that is from God was definitely not his plan. Can you imagine if you were tasked with that? Joseph is scared of what this situation will bring. Can you relate to that fear? That fear that comes when an unexpected situation comes into your life and you just don't know what the future looks like? I think Joseph was really feeling that fear. And so the angel comes to him and he tells him, do not fear. It is like God is coming next to Joseph and saying to him, Joseph, I am in this. I am doing this. Do not fear, for I am with you in this. This is a messy situation, but I am working through it. Do not fear. Take Mary as your wife. Last heading, the commitment. This is the commitment. We read in verse 24, we read this. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Church, Joseph still had a choice to make when that angel appeared, after that angel left him in his dream. He could have woken up and done what the angel said, or he could have woken up, pulled a Jonah, and ran for it. I think God would have brought him back, but he could have run for it. But Joseph 
listens. He commits himself to Mary and to her child. And, this, and then there's this beautiful detail in verse 25. Sometimes you, you might miss it. It says, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph names Jesus. That, tradition, that in this time was traditionally the role of the father. It shows us that Joseph has fully committed himself to this situation, to be there for Mary, to be there for baby Jesus. So church, what, what do we see in the story of Joseph? What, what can we take from this? Well, we see an incredible example of a man's love for his wife and children. We see an example of godly love, self-denying love, a love that we men should strive to imitate, um, and women too. Uh, we also see an incredible example of trust in God. We see Joseph trusting God even though he doesn't understand everything that God is doing. We see an incredible example of denying oneself for the sake of God. Joseph puts off all his plans for God's plans. And those are all good. But most importantly, friends, we see a picture of the gospel. I titled this message, Like Father, Like Son, because I think Matthew wants us to read the story of Joseph as a kind of precursor to the story of Jesus. I think the story of Joseph, the earthly father, is meant to point us to the grand story of God, our heavenly father. Here's what I mean. First, when Joseph embraced Mary as his wife and Jesus as his child, it cost him something. It cost him his honor. Like I said earlier, he, he and Mary, no, no, him and Mary became the talk of the town. People, got, I mean, like, it's, you, have, you have to imagine that people looked at them and thought, oh, they didn't wait till they were living together. What, what's going on? It was a scandalous situation. Um, it cost him his honor. And let us not forget that Jesus, when he was born, Herod, the king at the time, knowing of this prophecy of a coming Messiah, decides, I don't want this baby to overtake me in some amount of years. So he has all the babies in Bethlehem under the age of two, boys under the age of two, killed. And so Joseph has to flee with his family to Egypt. He has to leave everything he knows. His work, his family, his friends, the land he has, everything. He has to leave it all and go to Egypt. It cost him to embrace Mary as his wife and Jesus as his child. And friends, when God the Son, Jesus, came down to us on Christmas, it cost him. You might be asking, well, what do you mean it cost him? Isn't he God? Friends, um, we talk a lot about how God is love, but just as much as God is love, God is holy, meaning God is perfect. He is so perfectly good, so perfectly moral, so perfectly just that he has to hate and be adamantly against sin. If you have love, you have to have hate. If you love good food, you have to hate McDonald's. Um, God is so Perfect that he cannot be near sin. If he's near sin, his judgment goes after it. He cannot be in the same presence. So because of our sin, there was distance between us and God. I was listening to a message by Jackie Hill Perry this week. She was speaking at a conference, and this is what she said. This is um, it's a long quote, but it is a fabulous quote. She said this. She said, Moses couldn't come near the bush. Isaiah could see God's robe filling the temple, but he could not see God's face. Israel couldn't come near the mountain. She's going through the Old Testament, recounting all these times when people could not see God clearly or come near to God or touch God. 
She says, Israel couldn't come near the mountain. Uzzah simply placed his hand on the ark, and God's wrath came out in judgment, killing him. The priest could only go into God's presence once a year, and even, though there was the, even then there was the constant threat of death. From Genesis to Malachi, the entire Old Testament, is the story of people not being able to freely come near to God because of his holiness and their sin. But the glory of the incarnation is that God himself has come near to us. Amen. For Jesus to be swaddled, God had to be touched. For the shepherds to praise God for the Savior that was born, God had to be seen. The holy, holy, holy God that Isaiah saw on the throne condescended, taking on human flesh, living with, eating with, speaking with, and touching sinners. God was and is so holy that he could not tolerate our sin. In other words, if you and I were to by ourselves walk into God's presence, his, his pure perfectness, his holiness would strike us down in judgment. We see that in the Old Testament. We see people not being able to approach God because of their sin. For Jesus to come down then, he had to take on sin. He had to take on flesh. He had to willing to touch and be touched. The incarnation cost Jesus more than we will ever be able to conceive. The holy God of the universe humbled himself to a position in which he had to be carried. He had to be fed. The one who made everything, the the foundations of this world, put himself in a position where he needed a manger to lay in. He needed to be protected. The uncreated God made himself dependent upon created things. Do not miss the mercy that you and I are receiving at Christmas. God humbled himself, denied himself for you and for me. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, he writes this. He says, Christ Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, gave himself up by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When Joseph embraced Mary and Jesus, he took on the scorn of of others in order to love and care for them. He was willing to be judged. He was willing to be scorned. He would be looked at as a sinner, a man who broke God's law. He would be judged by his countrymen, yet he did it. His son, Jesus, the son of God, would go on to bear the scorn, the judgment, and the death that we all deserved for our sin. He would do so on the cross in order to save us. Dustin Neely, he's a church planner. He writes for the Gospel Coalition. He wrote this. He said, Joseph is a hero in Scripture who points us to the hero of Scripture, and that is Jesus Christ. There are a couple ways I want us to apply this to our lives. Um, Number one, do not fear. 
Our Advent series is called All is Calm. We all know it has been an especially hard year. Don't need to explain that. For many of us, it has been an especially hard year, but all of us have places in our lives where we want calm. We want peace. We all have situations that we did not ask for in our lives, situations that we would likely rather not have, and given the choice, we would get rid of them. Perhaps it is a problem in your marriage, an addiction, a physical or mental illness, a situation in your child's life, a problem at work. It could be any number of things. We all have these situations, these things that we worry about, these unknowns. We lay awake at night thinking about them. We research on the internet hoping that more information will provide us some kind of calm. Um, We try to control the situation. We try to fix it. We try to know the future. Friends, this morning, I want you to hear the angel's words to Joseph. Do not fear. Friends, we do not have to fear. Paul, in his second letter to his disciple Timothy, reminds Timothy that God has given us a spirit not of fear, but of power. Friends, we do not have to fear. Why? We do not have to fear because God is with us, and he is not just any God. He is the God who loves us so much that he was willing to humble himself, deny himself for us, take on flesh for our salvation and for his glory. That is the God who is watching over us and caring for us. Romans 8 verse 31 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do not fear, friends. God will provide in in the messy situations of your life, just like Joseph. Church, it is only by recognizing who God is in our lives and what he has done for us. It is only by recognizing that Our God is the one who empties himself for us like Joseph did for Mary, that our lives can truly be characterized by peace, by calm. It is only by chasing that God. It is only by pursuing that God. And here's the thing, we don't have to chase that God. That God has come to us. It is only by living our lives with that God that we can find true calm, true peace that lasts. So, Do not fear the situations that you are in. Trust God in them. You do not know what God is doing. I do not know what God is doing in many of the situations of my life. You do not know what his will and plan are. There is a plan that is greater than any of us, greater than anything we can understand. Instead of worrying and fearing, ask how God can use your situation for his glory. And now I can hear your response. Sam, you don't know my situation. It's too messy. There's no way that God could bring good out of this. There's no way God could do anything good in my life or in the lives around me through this, through this terrible situation I'm in. Well, you're right that I have no clue about your situation. But I do have God's word. And we just read about a pretty messy engagement, a pretty messy situation that looked very dark in which and through which God used to save all of us. Do not count yourselves out. God can work through your situation. Do not fear, friends. Trust God. Here's a thought for you. Have you noticed that in all four Gospels, we never hear about Joseph after Jesus is a child? He's, when Jesus begins his ministry, we never hear about Joseph. And, that's like, and it's likely thought that Joseph died 
um, before Jesus began his public ministry. And we see that because we see his mom a lot throughout the Gospels. And when Jesus, in the Gospel of John, when Jesus is on the cross, he actually turns to John, his disciple, and says, take care of my mother, basically in short. So it's widely thought that Joseph died sometime before Jesus began his ministry. So think about this. Joseph never got to see the fruit of his trust in God. Joseph never saw Jesus heal the blind. He never heard Jesus teach. He never watched Jesus cast out demons and perform miracles. He never heard Jesus tell about who he is and what is being done through him. Joseph did not witness or hear of his son's resurrection. No, Joseph never saw or heard any of that. He was just willing to trust God, to be faithful to God in a situation that he did not ask for. And because he did, baby Jesus had a father. Mary had a husband. We have a savior. Remember that without Joseph trusting God, baby Jesus might have been slaughtered in the streets by Herod's men. My point is this. Do not count yourself out because of what's going on in your life. God can do mighty things through you. God can bring good out of the mess. He can give you calm. So do not fear. Instead, seek after God. Consult scripture. Consult God through prayer. Consult your small group. Consult your close Christian community. Do not, um, do not wait for a vision for God to just do this amazing thing and just kind of reveal all that he's doing. Joseph got a vision, but before he got a vision, it says he was considering these things. He was praying. He was thinking. He was trying to figure out what God wanted from him. Seek after God in your situation, whatever it is. So that's the first application. Second and finally, we'll close on this. Number two, celebrate Christmas. I know a lot of us are already in that. We're doing that. It's great. Um, In this story, I want us to see that Matthew is not just telling us the facts of Jesus' birth. He's not saying, this is how it happened, and this is how it happened, and this is how it happened. He is doing that, but he is telling us something more. He is telling us, showing us that God's plan of salvation for all is unfolding before our eyes. He is telling us about the incredible climax at which God becomes Emmanuel. If you are familiar with the story of the Bible, you know that there was another Joseph in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis. And Patrick Schreiner, who's a professor, he says this. He says, there was another Joseph who had dreams, who was righteous, who took his family into Egypt to save them from famine, in that case, and then whose family left Egypt. Mary's husband is the new Joseph, whose actions echo, fulfill, and move Israel's story forward. While Joseph in Genesis temporarily saved his people from famine by bringing them into Egypt, now the obedience of Joseph allows Jesus to survive and thereby save the nation from their ultimate enemy, their sins. Joseph took baby Jesus and Mary to Egypt when they had to flee Herod. And in so doing, God's plan of salvation moves forward. Salvation for all of us. This is what Christmas is about. That God came down. And church, I call you to reclaim the biblical meaning of Christmas in your homes. And here's what I mean. I don't mean throw the tree out and don't sing Christmas carols. No, those things are beautiful. But as you sit around the tree... And as you enjoy food with your family, and as you give one another gifts, celebrate Advent. 
And just a couple quick ideas. You can, if you've got kids, you can pick up one of our Advent guides out on the welcome desk. You can grab one of those. Um, you can find plenty of Advent stuff on Right Now Media. We give that to you as a member of our church. Um, one thing that Julie and I do, every Sunday we, we, we do our own little Advent ceremony in our home, and we give gifts on like we give each other a gift on each Advent, we, and we do the scripture reading. We light the candle, and we take a moment to reflect. Include Advent and Christmas. Show your children and show one another what is most important. Friends, compared to the true meaning of Christmas, the world's meaning is so shallow. The world's Christmas will end on December 26, but the biblical Christmas, the real Christmas, goes far beyond December. Jesus has been born. The journey to the cross has begun, and our salvation has come. The story of Joseph reminds us that God's love has come for us. Let us pray. Jesus, we are so grateful that you were willing to count the cost and find us worthy of coming down, taking on flesh, and dying to save us from our sin. Father, I pray, Lord, that we would, that, that the glorious news of you coming down would not be lost on us. I pray, Lord, that we would be in awe of that, that you, the uncreated God, took on flesh and put yourself in the hands of created beings. And you did it because you loved us, because you want us, because you want us to be your children, to be free of sin, to be free from bondage. Lord, I pray that these truths would bring us joy this Christmas season. I pray, Lord, that we would have make great memories with our families and have a good Christmas. But Lord, I, I pray even more so that the joy of what you did at Christmas will permeate everything, that it will be on our minds, that we will find ourselves joyful, reflecting on what you've done. Lord, let this story not grow old to us. Father, we thank you for the story of Joseph whose love and his willingness to, to embrace um, Mary and baby Jesus points us to you and your willingness to embrace us. God, you are so good. We thank you for Christmas. In your name I pray, amen.